great. Dude, look, our boots are similar. It almost looks similar. like similar. I thought you know, about that like actually. Narrowgate podcast boots. <laughs> You we know? need you're what you're really trying to get to is we need some merch. You've yeah, been, we, you've been at that. We do need some merch. We need merch for this? Yeah. yeah. Well, Colin loves dude, merch. A, a near gay podcast tank. Yeah. <laughs> but no, you know, what we were, we were selling the only people that go to our website are bombs. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Narragate Podcast. I'm Weston. And I'm Logan. And this is the Dr. Bradley episode. Um, Dr. Bradley is a, an incredible man with an incredible life and a lot of experience. And he shared with us a, 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 just a wealth of information about his history and his experience in the military from, uh, from education and, and pouring into the lives of those that God has entrusted him with. And I just, I think that was a really cool interview. Yeah, I honestly, I think my favorite thing about just being around him is 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 like you, you immediately sense God has placed this guy and, and affirmed him in a season of like, this is where he's supposed to give away this this mm-hmm. depth of wisdom and knowledge of his life. Yep. So it's really cool to just be around people who, who want to share their life. I've known Dr. Bradley for the last 10 years and he is very intelligent and he's, got a lot of leadership experience, but man, he's got a pastor's heart. He has been with me in some of the like the, the, the deepest, darkest moments great. that I've experienced in the last 10 years. And I, I just think that that's helpful to know on the front end that man, he's got a pastor's heart for sure. And as always, if you want to hear more about Narrowgate, check out the show notes. Enjoy the episode. Dr. Bradley. We start off every episode by asking two questions. And I would like for you to answer these two questions. Who are you and why are you here? <laughs> these two questions are central to who we are at Narragate. And uh, it's always interesting to hear kind of everybody's different take on it. There's, there's generally two paths, a real practical answer or a very existential answer. <laughs> yeah, so so you, we leave it you to you your to decide where, where you want to go with that. Who am I? Um, well, as far as background, yeah, you know, I just grew up as a country boy in East Texas, small farm town, uh, married uh, Pam right out of high school, and we'd known each other since second grade, so she married me anyway, <laughs> and uh, which I thought was a real blessing. Vietnam was going on at the time, and my draft number came out. It was really, really small, so I was going to get drafted. So I just joined the Air Force, beat them to the punch, and... Uh, then after a short time, they uh, handed me an ROTC scholarship, said, we're letting you out now, go to college and come back come back in as an officer. And I said, okay, good deal. I'll do that. Um, I didn't mind the Air Force. It was just keeping me out of college. It was slowing me down, you know, so that was the best of both worlds. So um, did 29 years uh, uh, doing that, uh, traveling all over the world, doing some really uh fascinating things and uh retired in 2004 but i got saved uh shortly after getting back in as an officer i was a second lieutenant and very quickly got uh, a a very clear call to full-time ministry and education i mean it's just crystal clear it's really a cool story as to how god pulled pulled that off um So I thought, okay, finish my four years, get out, go to seminary. He goes, Mm-mm. 
and and I wasn't running from my call at all. I would have gotten out any time. But he just made it very clear in certain circumstances and things that he wanted me to do do a career in the military. So I thought, okay. Um, and I didn't understand why. There were a lot of mornings when I was shaving in the mirror going, when are you going to let me answer this call? Hmm. I can't stand it. I can't, I'm tired of waiting. You know, I was so eager uh, to do it. So naturally, during that time, I was building my library, reading books, doing everything in church I possibly could. Uh, you know, I was doing, I, I was wanting to get in as much as possible. I always said I was a 2020 man because you could you could do 20 years in the military and retire at half your your base pay for the mm. rest of your life. It's changed now, but that was the system during the Cold War. So I always said I was a 2020 man, 20, 20 years and 20 seconds, and I am getting out. And <laughs> I am going <laughs> Sure. That's funny. But about the time, uh, I mean – there were so many things in my military career that I either did wrong <clears throat> or I really did something that that usually doesn't enhance your career, standing up for the right thing and taking your lumps and that kind of thing. Um, Is that your polite way of saying you bucked the system often? I, I did uh, – <laughs> Occasionally, thanks for clarifying that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's good. It's that's good. A, the technical terminology. Yeah, that, was very, <laughs> that was very like, yeah, that was uh, um, well said. You know, I, I uh, had gone through enough and seen God confirm uh, things in in my career. Times when people really came after me. I mean, seriously came after me, trying to ruin my career because uh, I wasn't ashamed of the gospel. I wasn't brash and running around, you know, with a you know five pound cross around my neck. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, hesitant to to bring it up if it was appropriate and that kind of thing. And and I saw the Lord protecting me uh, career wise, you know. And then there was times when I what we call spoke truth to power. <laughs> um, I'm assuming that has a little more weight to it, maybe in 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 the. In the military than, than other places? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it wasn't always the uh, the right time either. Uh, <laughs> when I was a squadron commander, I was going up for full colonel, and only 2% of the Air Force officers make full colonel. I mean, that's, that's considered a senior officer. Colonels and generals are senior officers in the military. So uh, things were going really well, and um, – let me just say my group commander, who was a full colonel, I was a lieutenant colonel, and he was my boss, uh, and I got uh, crossways in his office where we were on both sides, standing on both sides of the coffee table with our arms folded, uh, neither refusing to, to give in. Um <laughs> Just imagine this like Western movie, and there's like a tumbleweed rolling through the middle, and like, <laughs> well, it was it was West Texas. So. Yeah, <laughs> surprised it was. Oh, in San Angelo. Oh, wait. don't be disappointed. I, Colin and I are both from Abilene, Texas, mm. Dias Air Force Base. Yeah. Of course, you know we grew. Well, this up was good, fellow. Weapons of war just flying over our head, thinking that was normal until we moved to a different town. Like, oh, not yeah. everybody has an Air Force Base. Yeah, everybody has. Not B everybody has the B one bombers yeah. flying over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, um, 
I didn't realize it, but in, in the midst of that speaking truth to power, he said something and I rolled my eyes. And he said, that's it, Bradley, out of my office. <laughs> and he threw me out of his office. You know, that was 30 days before he sat down and wrote my promotion recommendation for him as to whether he thought I should get promoted or not. Wow. You know, and I I went back to my DO, my ops officer, who was the number two guy in the squadron. And I said, I think I just got fired. <laughs> you uh, need to prepare to take command. <laughs> <laughs> but he uh, was an officer of character. And uh, he, you know, he recognized I, I caught him doing something wrong and right. I called him on it. I didn't roll with it. And he took offense to that. <laughs> he was a good guy. I mean we were all under a lot of stress. Um so uh I ended up getting promoted. <laughs> so yeah I've had times like that. Um but it goes back to something that I've learned over the years in the secular world if I can say that. That um, the real question in tough times and scary times is not how do I get out of this or what should I do, uh, you know, in my own power, in my own wisdom. It, I learned that it really boils down to what will God bless. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's trying to really razzle-dazzle something and look better than you really were. Or, you know, you hide facts, you know, you blame it on something, you know, all of these things. It's it's really what will God bless and, and doing things that glorify him, uh, being a godly example, admitting that I was wrong and I'll take the lumps and I'll correct it. I'm not going to have anybody else correct it. I'll correct it. You know, I'm not going to put that on somebody else when it was my fault. Um, things like that. Um, and God did that. I was very comfortable talking with people about my faith, which caused some problems. Um, but I learned that any bad thing that comes my way, God allows it. You know, because I'm untouchable unless He allows me to be touched. So why uh, duke it out? Why, you know, lie, cheat, and steal to protect your career, your reputation, things like that? And, you know, I just did the right thing, even though it might sting. And I just saw him over and over blessing that. Hmm. So that was kind of the gist of my military career. Um, And then uh, I guess what I was trying to get to was 20, you know, 2020. Yeah. But when I was at 19, you know, Pam and I talked about, okay, is, is, are we wanting to retire? Well, um, I saw my career really going well, and God was doing it, trust me. Um, and I said, let's just let it ride. Um, so I went about eight and a half more years, and uh, and it was a wonderful assignment, a uh, wonderful time. <laughs> and uh, then the Lord made it clear, okay, now. At that time, I finished my doctorate. So I was ready to be hired. I didn't want to retire and then spend several years finishing my education. Then I wanted to go right in. So that was my goal. If I'm going to stay in, then I'm going to do all this while I'm in. And uh, So you were going to school while still in the military? Yeah. 
And even that was an amazing story that was quite a blessing mm. at another time. Um, so then in 2004, uh, you know, I was a professor. But there were still lessons to learn and maturing lessons as well as some military things that he still hadn't chiseled off of me that um, needed to, to be taken care of. And then after that, you know, it started getting really good. Hmm. Um, my son graduated from Dallas Seminary, got called by a church in Nashville. So uh, he had the audacity to take my only grandkids with him. <laughs> never, it for, never forgive him for that. <laughs> so I'll teach you. I'll move up there. Sure. <laughs> so uh, we've been here about ten years, which is the longest we've ever lived in one place. Wow. Um. Um. And you know, Eli. I've I've learned too, especially at, at this level, that I I quit trying to figure things out. I just do what God puts in front of me. Hmm. I'm curious how how um I mean, there's obviously some, some history you know between you guys. How how did you come to know about Narrowgate? Well, uh, Weston was one of my students, and matter of fact, one of my first students. Favorite uh, here, this guy. Favorite students. first. That's what I he meant. First, not favorite. <laughs> I tried to get him to get his hearing check, but sure. he never heard me. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> Same luck with you trying to get me to get my hair cut. <laughs> Still didn't work. Yeah, it was pure jealousy. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where we met. And uh, he really stood out in class as being a sharp student. And uh, what I immediately recognized is uh, class wasn't enough. I wanted him more. Um, good questions and everything. And he came up after the first class, I think, and said, can we meet each week and do more of this? I said, oh, yeah. You know, my tail was wagging here and there. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, I mean, how many years did we do that? Like, I mean, gosh, six, seven, yeah, something like I was, that. I was thinking like six or something. So Yeah, every Thursday morning. Uh, it was hermeneutics. Hermeneutics, wow. which is one of the things I'm teaching out here now. Yeah. Yeah, everywhere I went, another surprise, I never thought of this, but I, I, my doctorate was in missions, so I thought, okay, I'd be a missions professor. And then every school I went to to teach, they said, you know, with your military background, would you teach our leadership classes too? Hmm. So it kind of, kind of became, you know, at Dallas Seminary, I was with them for 10 years. I was actually teaching in two departments, in leadership department and oh, wow. missions department, which made total sense. And again, I look back. On the Lord going, no, 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 you just stay, do what you're doing, you know, then I understood why, you know, so I, I teach the guys out here that good leaders are always in self-assessment mode. You know, when I told everybody that, was it clear? Did they receive it well? Hmm. You know, do I, I need to do this or that? You know, you're just always checking, you know, as I'm doing things the way it needs to be done instead of just assuming that. So when you get um, with a lot of time behind you, um, you learn to watch what God has done, you know, um, how he's protected you when you really were out of line, how he ensured that you did an honorable thing, which is him doing it in us, you know, the impact that it had on other people, 
the bad things that come in your life and you carry them well because you're trusting in the Lord. Nothing happens in your life that He doesn't uh, bring it about. And if He does and He loves you without question, it's for a purpose. Yeah. And that's a good purpose. So you wear it well. And then people will come and ask you, how can you be so calm? How can you not be furious after what they did? You know, that kind of thing. You know, and the more it's beautiful because the more I would do that at the, you know, illumination of the Lord, it wasn't that I was that spiritual or smart. Um, The more I saw that happening, the more peaceful I was with things happening. You know, Mm. I knew the Lord (laughs) had it. And my first question each time became, okay, what's God's purpose in this? Because I want to line up with that purpose. And there's my decision-making. So if you understand God working that way in your life, and He does, then when things happen, what do I do? Doesn't enter your mind. You know, one, you stay faithful to what you know He's called you to do. You live the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, et cetera. And you let God do it. Hmm. And expect, expect things to happen. You know, when you're, you can't witness to anybody in the military, uh, especially down the chain of command, you know, so. And and is that by design, by structure? And that is is a good policy because, you know, your career is rather fragile uh, and it's against the law, actually, because you don't want people thinking that they've got to pray that prayer or go to church with you or whatever, because they're afraid if they don't, they're I'll ruin their career. So you you can't do that. Yeah. And I totally support that policy. So what I did is I just showed my people naturally, and I didn't overdo it, that I'm very comfortable talking about my faith. And as the Lord moves, then there's people knocking on my door going, hey, sir, do you have a question? Or do you have a minute? I said, sure. Yeah. Uh, Clement close the door, and then once they start talking about it, I can say anything. Yeah, I think I remember you tell me like once, like it's just it was sort of like uh, like incognito ways of revealing that you're comfortable with your faith, like around a water cooler or something. Just saying, yeah, you know, somebody says something, you're like, you know, that's that's funny. My pastor this Sunday was telling me was saying this, and that just really resonated. And it's not this overt, you know, hey, I'm a Christian, and God says, and this is what the Bible says. It's like you're just letting people in to know that. You know, you you do have faith in God, and it's not pushed on them, but that opens the door for them to do like what you just said. Come come knock on your door. Yeah, and in my early Christian life, it was uh, pretty aggressive. You know, you're you're you know challenging people, and and you're starting the conversation, stuff like that. And whereas with this, if you're just not ashamed of the gospel, you know, and you respect people and how you relate to them, then as God moves in their heart, they come to you instead of me, you know, chasing people down in the hallway kind of thing. Mm. So, you know, then then you're a lot more comfortable that the Lord is doing this. That's that's good. I, I want to tag on something to earlier, um, how he learned about Narragate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he and I started meeting when I was going to Williamson College back in 2014 or 13 or whatever it was. 
And um, so we, we were meeting for several years. And so at that time, I wasn't on staff here at Narragate. I yeah, had graduated okay. Narragate, but I wasn't on staff. I was actually running a, uh, running a handyman company is a way of glorifying that statement. I really, I, I'd fix things at people's houses and sure. they paid me for it. <laughs> but, I, um, but I had some people that would work for me. And, and I was also very plugged in at, at my church. You know, I was on the staff there as the discipleship pastor. And, um, and so what initiated our relationship was just, like my, I, obviously he was very intelligent and knew a lot about the word and knew about not just like, didn't, he didn't just sit there and teach Bible studies. He taught how to study the Bible. And yeah. like, it, yeah. I was just so enthralled with that. And so what started as we're just going to get together and talk about the scriptures, talk about, you know, God and and how to study and different things. It, it began, it, it became, you know, also some leadership stuff. Cause like he said, you know, the military experience that just sort of infiltrated all of the times that we were meeting. And I found it very helpful and practical in my own leadership development because I was leading at the church and leading in a, you know, a, a company. And, um, and then, and then I transitioned from that role at the church and uh, the company to here. That's whenever I got the invite. So he was, he helped me through that transition and then has continued to be a, you know, a, a voice in my own life uh, here as I develop as, as a leader here. And so it was just, it's really cool to look back and think, you know, I mean, I was just a dude that came up to you like, on our bathroom break at class. It was like, Hey, can we hang out? <laughs> well, me getting to Williamson college was the same way. You know, I, I came up here. And because of the schools that are here are super liberal, I'm going, okay, I'm called to education. I, this is a desert. I, I don't know what I'm going to do here. Um, and then I heard about Williamson College, so I took my resume up there and sat down. I said, hey, can I teach a class here? And the president looked at my resume and he said, how about vice president of academic affairs? Yeah. Well, I remember that they, they introduced you like on your first day as like the, the missions professor or something like that. And then literally like the next week you came in and they were like, this is the Dean, you know? And I was like, Whoa, that was a quick jump. Like, <laughs> golly. Yeah. So you're obviously, you know, impressed somebody. You yeah. Know? You know, again, it, it's just, this, this is one of the blessings of being as old as I am. What is it like 95, so much, 99 uh, now? My elbows feel like it. Yeah. Uh, like you guys my hands and my wrists well. feel like it. <laughs> um, but seriously, y y you get so much mileage that you've got a lot to look back on. And, and it's a little more calm at this point, you know, because you're not in the fight anymore. Uh, and you can just see how active God has been in your life and how he and his timing. Yeah. Um, he brings things in front of you that you've been wanting to do for a while, and it just wasn't, you weren't able to, to make it work out. Um, it's just like me, man. I, I still, I, I'm self-taught in Hebrew, and uh, I mean, I just can't, I probably read the Old Testament too much, <laughs> you know? Um, and I kept trying to get into doctoral programs, and it just wasn't working, you know? Either I wasn't going to, I wasn't anywhere close to a campus or, you know, all of that stuff. But he kept giving me, uh, I had a pretty unusual career, even for an Air Force intelligence officer. You know, I did some unique stuff. Um, I was a senior military liaison to German intelligence for a while. Hmm. 
you know, living near Munich and civilian clothes and German license plates and going to German locations and stuff like that. Just super cross-cultural. Yeah. And, um, and then at the end, you know, he, he made it clear that he pointed me to Western Seminary in Portland, doctor in missiology, missions. And I'm going, okay, that's it. Now I get it. So again, you, you know, you, you, with a lot of mileage, you could, you've got more to look back on and see where God was leading you through these hard spots, through these turns and long spells and, and things like that. And, and you look back and you, I wouldn't change a thing. Hmm. Is there any specific kind of hard thing? Again, I, I, I have almost zero frame of reference for, for, you know, a, a career in the military, but I'm wondering if there's any one or two things that come to mind that seemed really hard at the time that God has made really evident that like, this is, a, this is a tool that I gave you in that hard season that you're pulling out a lot these days to, again, for the benefit of, of other young men or other people you're, you know, giving leadership qualities to, is there anything you can comes to mind? Yeah. Well, 20 or 30. Things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we got time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you can always edit. Um, <laughs> Yeah, there were some, uh, a lot of it was persecution, especially early on. When you get more senior, you don't hear so much about that. And you get it to levels where other officers typically don't mess with that kind of stuff. Um, but early on, it was pretty hard. It was pretty hard. And some of it I handled well and some of it I didn't. Uh, but it was all part of part of learning Here's here's one story, and I'll I'll keep it as short as I can. Uh, in the military, they don't let solicitors come and badger you all all year about giving to this and giving to that. So they say, okay, we're going to have a combined federal campaign. This is a great God story. This is my favorite God story. Oh, I know, I know. Yeah, I don't know. About. It. I'm ready yeah. to hear so, it. Literally, I mean, I've asked this guy every question you can think of. I've heard all the stories, and so <laughs> well, we like, gotta come in fresh, I'm man. Gonna, yeah. The people need yeah. to hear. Well, look, yeah. I'm just, I can't. You know, I've got I gotta have integrity. I'm yeah, not just gonna pretend good. I don't know the man. That's you know? that's good. Yeah. Well, I'm feeling a little ambushed here. I didn't know this was gonna be a comedy <laughs> podcast. So you know, I keep yeah. things light. That's why I'm here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> keep okay. I'll keep looking at you. Yeah. Okay. Um. So they have a thing called Combined Federal Campaign. And one time a year, these organizations can, you know, expect to get some donations from Air Force guys. Um, and there's a long list of accepted organizations, validated organizations. So they give you the brochure. They give you a thing to fill out of if you want to give and how much and how and all of that stuff. And you check which one you want the money to go to. Well, in typical DOD fashion, they have goals that you've got to meet, you know, as if you're in control of how much people are going to give. And they will pick a captain uh, on the base to be in charge of it because that's a, a really good leadership thing that they can put in your performance report. One year they had this captain doing that, and, and a lot of people really kind of resented it. You know, because uh, if they want to give, they'll give, you know, and what it, why are we doing that? that kind of thing? So it wasn't necessarily a popular thing. So uh, this was a very political base, uh, a lot of military politics at this base because there were a lot of generals there. 
and um, the collection was over, and it was way short of the goal of of giving. And that poor captain got called into the colonel's office who worked for the general. Uh, so he didn't want to go into the general with the bad news. So he ripped the skin off this captain and and told him that he was throwing it all away and you're going to go back and you're going to do it all over, captain. And they got much less contributions the second time. You know, the workforce kind of said, We'll teach you not to do that. So a whole the whole f- campaign for giving and making donations, it's over. And the captain has to go back and do the whole campaign again, asking the same people for money. Yep. And it's not so much asking them, but giving them the paperwork to where everybody has an opportunity to. Sure. There's no rah, rah, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's, you know, if you give it, if you want to, everybody has a chance to give. That's the way they do it. Um, so next year, um, Captain Bradley was selected and I'm going, okay. Um, so I knew all the history of that. I got all of the workers together because every division, every department, every squadron had a guy that did it in their squadron and it all came back to me, you know? Um, so I got them all together, introduced myself and I said, we all know what happened last year. I'm telling you, I want you to make sure everybody's been notified and they've got the paperwork and they give what they want to give. You give all of that to me and and no money exchange, but just, you know, the information pledges, you know, everything that all of the paperwork comes back to me. And if we don't meet our goal, that's not your problem. That's my problem. All right. So I don't care if we don't get any money. I don't care. We're going to do our job, which is to make sure everybody's notified, answer any questions, and it goes where it goes. And I, I mean, this sounds like a war story, but I've got it in my performance report. You know, you know what we did with the goal? We doubled it. <laughs> Exactly 200% of the goal. And that was the first time, because I was still saved like six years or so. That was the first time that I really saw how God can really take care of you and cover for you and all of that stuff in your life. You know, he he's the one that's in charge of all that. It's not my hard work and craftiness and tricks and you know, all of that stuff that makes this stuff happen. He does. Because that is all I did. And and I'm telling you, I never broke a sweat over it. I wasn't worried about it. wasn't scared. And that's what God did. And that's when, you know, it kind of snapped my head back going, whoa. Okay, I'm starting to get it. And so it, well, th- it, that's you, a, you You essentially, when uh, you told everyone, like, hey, even if we don't meet our goal, we're not going to do a repeat of last year. So you were prepared at least, you know, mentally to walk into the Colonel's office and him say, do it again. And you were going to say no. Right. I mean, like at least that could have, you were aware that that could be an outcome. Yeah. And, and we would talk about it. Uh, Unfortunately I didn't have to cross that line, Yeah, but 
I doubt serious. I, I don't know. I mean, what I would have done. Sure. But the point, the well, point I'm is. trying to make you look awesome, Lord. man. Like you're a warrior, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, William Wallace. But God the is lines. the point of that story. Yeah, yeah, two hundred percent. I mean, we didn't exceed the goal. He doubled the goal. Yeah, and all we did was hand out paperwork. That was it, and hmm. I took the pressure off of them. I, you know, I led. You know, this is on me. Don't worry about it. You know, none of it's going to roll back on you, and we'll just see what happens. I got a question. Yeah. So, um, well, first it's going to have some, some, uh, pre-qualifier context. So Dr. Bradley has been coming out and working with the students in the service phase for the last year or so more. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's doing a, uh, leadership course, which is like four weeks, you know, once a week, um, I believe on Mondays, you know, half uh, a day yeah. each time, half yeah. a day in the mornings, they do a leadership kind of one-on-one, uh, course. And then in the afternoons, a uh, hermeneutics course. So it's really cool. He comes out, you know, every week and, um, and the, they all love it, you know, and sometimes staff gets to sit in and they love it. And it's always like, even I sit in sometimes actually I'm more, I just come in and like mess with you and then <laughs> you mess with me back and make me look bad. And then I walk out and <laughs> so call it a day. Yeah. It's, it's perfect. It's the way it's supposed to be. Um, but he I'm sound, interested. He sounds tough when there's witnesses. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I walk in, I'm like, what's up old man? You know, and he's like, shut up. You know, you, sure. you lose this fight every time. <laughs> but I'm, I'm curious. Cause I don't think I've ever you know, asked you this directly, like in your experience with the Narragate students, because you, you, I mean, you've gone through, you know, six or seven or eight different classes yeah, of guys least. that have come through. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the thing that keeps you coming back? Well, two things really. And again, going back to my, uh, my age is when you see how much God has done in your life, and you know you're still healthy enough to to keep going you've got so much to die with hmm. okay i don't want to die with it i want to dump it all so you start getting into a phase to where you're wanting to pour it back into the guys coming up behind you as hard as you can cuz a lot of these things especially leadership i learned through experience you know, you would think that you'd be taught a lot of leadership in the military. You're really not. You know, you're given these responsibilities and good luck. You know, if you are lucky enough to really be working for a good officer, then, you know, a lot of it will rub off. Uh, you got a guy that you can come in and close the door and say, hey, listen, help me with this. I don't, you know, um, I had... Well, so a lot of this is from experience, and a lot of it, uh, I think what I enjoy the most is talking about my mistakes, Hmm. you know, Um, but also how I use those mistakes and the things I did better later in my career. So a lot of it is anecdotal, you know, this, this went on and this was the situation, this is how I handled it, and this is why, and... This is how I would have done it if I did it again. Even though it went well, I would probably done it a little bit differently, you know. And, and I'm and I'm drawing principles out of that. Just like I said earlier, a, a good leader is always in self-assessment mode. Um, what are the traits of, of good leaders? All of that is what I've observed in good leaders. What I have learned uh, sometimes the hard way, 
my dad was a good leader. He uh, was a World War II veteran uh, in the Navy, came back and immediately got into the Army Reserves and did 20 years there and retired in the Army Reserves. And he he taught me a lot of leadership principles. And one of it, well, the biggest thing he taught me is you stand up for your people. You protect your people. What is that? That's shepherding. Yeah. And dad didn't go to church, you know, but it's the same principle, you know. So I bit down on that pretty early. Um, but why? Why stand up for your people? And the big one, how do you stand up for your people? You know, so just all of all of the things, uh, I, I just really love it primarily because these guys are hungry, you know, and and they they need it. They need somebody to say, okay, look, this is what this is about. This is how you do it. But one of the four days is leading through conflict. You That's know? huge. Another, we all need a dose of that. An, another of, of the four days, a complete day is uh, leading through change. Hmm. One of the most dangerous things you'll do as a leader. So how do you do that? What, what kind of people are you going to be um, having to wrestle with? How do you speak truth to power? Um, I left the class the other day because we're going to do change the next time we're together. And I drew the front half of a bell curve. And I said, okay, you just got hired as the new pastor of this church. The church is starting to take off. When do you start planning for change? And I just let that hang in the air. And I said, think about it. Talk among yourselves if you want, and we'll address it next time. You know, so it, it is really fulfilling and a real blessing to not only have an opportunity to pour into the guys coming behind you and, and get them give them a leg up instead of having to learn all this themselves if they ever do uh in the military it's it's like three lifetimes you know because everybody's always moving every every summer you lose a third of your people and you get a third new people you've never seen before and then you're leaving and you know you do that i did that for almost 30 years so how many people have i met how many kinds of people working for me uh, good guys, bad guys work. I was working for them. You, you know, all of that stuff, you, you just pick up a lot. And I am, I've committed the rest of my life to pouring that into the generations coming up behind me to whether they can do better earlier. And that's what that's I'm excellent. all about. So cool. I think one of the most, like per, the, the things that, one of the best things about your, um, leadership teaching and interactions with um, guys that are learning from you are uh, you have a you have a story or a real life experience that goes mm -hmm. with all of these principles that you're talking about and they're really easy to relate to mm -hmm. and they're really easy to like see you know and understand it's like oh okay that that's not just a principle that you read in a leadership book like that's i can see how that would apply in my own life and for me, like, I can think of five stories off the top of my head that you've told me that uh, I've, the story was the thing that, like, embedded it in me. You know, it wasn't just a, a quick, you know, quote or a leadership principle that you would highlight in a book. It was like, no, this is what that looks like. And then I, 
I can think of several stories where I've experienced that in my own life and mm -hmm. it just builds on, you know, builds on itself. So I've always appreciated that about your, you know, your teachings and interactions and all that. And a lot of times when I'll do that, I'll take them halfway through the story and then I'll stop and say, what would you do? Yeah. What would you do from here? This is you. What would you do? Yeah. What would you do now? And of course they don't know. And I know that, and I'm not trying to humiliate them or look smart or anything, but I want them to process that because if I don't teach them this, they're going to have that stunned mullet look in the situation. Mm -hmm. And if they're a leader and they look like that in front of their guys, that's, that's going to be hard to recover yeah. from. Yeah. So I want them to be confronted with it now. Um, and I let it hang. <laughs> what would you do? Yeah. yeah, I don't know. No, wrong answer. What would you do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's tell not the me. best time to experience and then that just for the go, first yeah. time is in and the And then moment. just go quiet. You know, tell me. You know, and, and, and then once I've made that point and they struggled a little bit and maybe given me an answer or something, then we talk about the answer or refine the answer or, you, you know, I, 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 try to create the simulated stories of their own hmm. you know lots of times these guys will say man that is just like my boss before i came to narrogate had that happen the other day yeah and uh the psychology of leadership is fascinating to me you know how people lead why they lead why they do it the way they do it and so much of that is um who they really are. And that's what I lead off with in the leadership classes. Uh, I talk about how important it is. And, and uh, um, but I say that the most important thing is when you're leading, we find out who you really are. Yeah. And you find out who you really are. Yeah. Because you're going to be in situations to where, buddy, you better compromise. Buddy, you better put that in the drawer and not let anybody see it. But is that what you should do? And we go back to what will God bless? <laughs> That's good. So, yeah, it's the stories that. Yeah. I, I just wanted to quickly point something out because this this is more almost a question for you. Uh, this, isn't for the first, this isn't the first time that you've mentioned, you know, just how you guys met and, and asking him, hey, would you like to hang out and meet one-on-one? -on -one? Um, I, I just want to confess, I was uh, in, in my in my twenties and my early thirties for crying out loud, I, I, I felt, um, almost slighted by the world or had a complaint that like, man, I don't have any, I don't have any older, wiser men, you know, spending one-on-one -on -one time with me. Mm -hmm. I was kind of pointing the finger at the whole world. And at the same time, mm -hmm. I didn't have the courage to seek it out. And, and I was just realizing this is, this isn't the first time that you've mentioned, Hey, like I saw something in someone that I wanted and I approached them you know, and, and then all of a sudden there's this discipleship relationship that's happening. So, so, so there's obviously a couple pieces to this, you being at God, perfectly priming you in a position mm -hmm. where, where your, your heart is just, man, I got I got to give it away. But, yeah. but for you to have the boldness to be like, I see that, that's right. I want that. And I'm going to have the courage to go ask that. I, I'm just, I'm just realizing, man, that was, that was something I was missing. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and I, and I just, I don't know. Is this an opportunity for you to encourage graduates or other guys listening? Man, like when you see it, don't be afraid to go ask for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, if anything, an encouragement to whoever whoever's listening, don't do what I did <laughs> yeah. and just complain that I don't have it. Man, take that step in faith and yeah. 
and yeah. try to try to build those relationships with 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 men who clearly have a depth of wisdom that, that we mm-hmm. all need. So, well, I, I will gladly take yeah, your uh, your encouragement to share my wealth of you know wisdom. <laughs> no, I think that for I think I you know I I went through Narragate and I was introduced to a whole new life, you know, a whole new me, yeah, the real me, and um, and w- I was in this sort of spiritual bubble where every day I'm being discipled, you know, Bill's here, uh, Boots, um, Daniel Jenkins, Ty Homer, you know, um, Travis Armstrong, all these guys that I looked up to, I had direct access to them daily, you know, and the change that I experienced from day one of Narragate to, you know, graduation day was so deep um, that I knew that I knew that that was because of the people who had poured into me and when I graduated and left the bubble, I realized that the world doesn't just provide you with that um, automatically, yeah. you know. And I and I realized pretty quickly um, that I was trying to like reach back into Narragate and like I would like send Bill emails or like you know uh, try to try to go out for Bible studies and yeah. stuff like that. But it was just so um, I was no longer in the program and. Now, as the director of Narragate Lodge, I realize how difficult it is to extend your reach outside of the lodge because there's so much to pour into here. And so I realized that I, I, that wasn't that was the season. You know, like yeah. I, when I was at Narragate, I had access to those people specifically during that season. But I wasn't done like growing. Like I didn't have this. Like I was I was still hungry for for growth, and I, I knew that I was capable of more. Um, and so I, I just I think that. I think that when I entered Narragate, I had this like sort of pride about who I was. And then whenever I left, I had this real acknowledgement that like, oh, I'm, I actually don't know what I'm doing, you know? <laughs> and so, um, so yeah, I just, I knew that I wanted to continue to grow and that wasn't just going to happen to me. It wasn't just going to, I wasn't going to get it from reading books and like, you know, just praying and writing stuff in my journal and, you know, I, I needed more. And so I wanted that discipleship, you know, again, again. And so, yeah, it was, it was kind of, um, whenever I met him for the first time, you know, we, I had been through a couple of classes at Williamson college and they were great, you know, great teachers, great classes. Um, but coming out of Narragate, I felt like I knew a lot of it already, you know, not to say that I knew everything, but it felt all kind of very familiar. Um, and so then whenever, I mean, first day he started teaching, it was like, I mean, he was using the whiteboard, he was handing out, you know, printouts of old ancient manuscripts and showing you how to like identify the errors and different, you know, you know, translations and things like that. And then, you know, kind of bringing this, uh, just this insight into the word that felt like similar to Narragate, you know? And so immediately I was like that, that's what I've been looking for. That's what I've been needing. And so, I mean, it almost like looking back, it's kind of silly, but literally I I just walked up and said, Hey man, can, uh, can we just, can we hang out? Like, like on a regular basis, you know, cause I, I, I just, I didn't know how to say, Hey man, will you, disciple me you know yeah so it was just that and like sure. i'm hoping that he's not like you know well sorry son i'm i'm pretty busy you know i am a professor and you know i've got a i've got you know <laughs> important things going on in my life but he i remember i remember exactly what you said you you looked at me and like i'm on the edge of my seat right i just said hey can we hang out on a regular basis and me learn from you like forever you know <laughs> and he looked at me just for a moment there was like a moment of like brief like a pause and i was like is he going to, what's, what is he going to say? And he said, oh yeah, I'm all over that. Why don't you meet me at my house and on Thursday morning, you know? And I was like, yes. And then that lasted for 
a long time. I mean, we're here. We're still still talking, you know, I still come to you for advice and still, you know, bounce things off of you because I haven't learned all that you know and have experienced yet. And, you know, so to your point earlier, you want to pour your life into the next generation. You don't want to die with it. Like, man, you have passed a lot of it on and your life has impacted at least one person like really deeply. It's, it's me. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know. Well, another early point I make in the leadership classes is leadership is influence. It's yeah. not power. Oh, yeah. If you it's lead good. by power, you're a failed leader. Yeah. It's, it's about influence. So the question is, how do you influence people to where they uh, will respect you and want to work for you uh, through thick and thin? Mm-hmm. You know, not just when it's good, uh, but when the storms come and you really mess up. They're going to stay with you, you know that it that's influence, and and really, teaching is leadership. You're you're wanting to lead the people that you're teaching to the right place in their lives. You want to help them get there, and you want them to understand why they're there and how they got there, and now what are they going to do? Now what kind of things are ahead of them? How do you handle it when it – we talked uh, uh, just uh, – was it yesterday? <laughs> uh, two days ago. I forget the last <laughs> last time I was out here, but it was just a day or two ago. Anyway, um, how uh, I believe all organizational charts are upside down. And when I have PowerPoints, which I don't use them out here, uh, and I cover this, I'll say, okay, I want you to watch this uh, this PowerPoint slide, and I'll click, click. You know, I just let it flash up sure. there, and I say, what, what, uh, what did you see? Well, they said, well, it was an org chart. Uh, the president was at the top. The vice presidents were. It was like four or five underneath, and it goes quiet. And I said that. That was not even a quarter of what was on there. What else was on there? Crickets. And I said, this is the problem. Because psychologically, people, when they see charts, they go top center. They're thinking up the chain of command. And I think it's upside down. And I do a a combat map. Okay, so when we're in combat, at the top of the map is the enemy. And you got the forward edge of the battle area, which is the battle line. Uh, and then who do you have right across the line in front of the enemy? Privates, lieutenants. You got the, the bottom end of the organization. And then what's the next one? Well, the next leadership up. You got the captains and the company commanders and, and all that stuff. And then the next echelon moving further and further down the map you get more and more senior, the brigades, the battalions, brigades, divisions, and you start getting into the generals and everything. Now, what's the difference? The generals aren't the one accomplishing the mission. Hmm. The, gener- the, the soldiers are the ones that are accomplishing the mission. And every echelon behind them down the map is focused on the fight, not focused on the general. They're focused on the fight. What can do they need more ammo? They need artillery support. Okay, let's have a fire mission that puts artillery rounds on this spot of the enemy and everything. And if you got a unit's all shot up or they've been fighting for 
you know, 28 hours, you know, you, you get the reserves, you, you pull, you pull them offline, put a, a fresh unit in, pull them back, feed them, rest them, shower them, you know, let them, you know, kind of unwind and everything and get ready to fight again. Okay. Everything from the general down is focused on the mission accomplishment. If you, if your mind is, is an org chart, like we use them, your your thoughts are going up the chain of command. How do I make my boss happy? Hmm. Okay, how do I get his job when he leaves? You know, and and many times the the people that were actually accomplishing the mission aren't even on the org chart. Okay, do away with them and see how well you do. You know, but everybody is focused up the chain of command. Whereas if you look at a combat map, which is the way I think org charts ought to be. Mm-hmm. You've got the people accomplishing the mission at the top. And my first question of the echelon just below them is, what are you doing to support the fight? That's what are so you good. doing to yeah. support the people that are accomplishing our mission? And that that's where I want you thinking. You know, so leadership is is about influence. It's about making smart change, you know, and that kind of thing. And, uh, I think, I think once they get that in their head, then even if they're in an organization that doesn't see it that way, they're going to shine yeah. because they're going to see it that yeah. way, you know. And it kind of falls into a bigger principle that I learned um, many years ago that you are who you are based on the books you've read the places you've traveled, and the people you've met. Now think about that. What has influenced you in your life? Uh, you, you've read a book or in our culture, you saw a movie that just really blew you away, you know, and you go, man, I, I want to get in the Marine Corps. Man, I want to, you know, I want to, I want to do this, you know. Um, you're really influenced by it. Or you've been someplace, and I really identify with this because I've been a lot of places. And you talk to the people and you see how they do things, and you go, that's interesting. You find out why they do it that way, and, and wow, that, that's a very good reason. I like that. I worked a lot with the Brits, and we'd get into World War II conversations. And, you know, we were the young whippersnappers. We wanted to go over and jump straight into France. And the Brits are already getting chewed up and have a little more experience at this than we do. And Churchill convinced Roosevelt to put us in North Africa. Let us kind of figure this out, how, how you do this. Um and I didn't really know that until a Brit told me, you know. So I'm listening to the Brits talk about their their views of early World War II, and I'm going, I think you're right. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think you guys had it figured out. We didn't, you know. So you just learn, uh, even if it's not changing your mind, but just you're aware. You know, people talk about Muslims now. I've got I've got tons of time with Muslims. You know, in in uh, in my military time, and you know, my ministry time, and and I listen to most people, and I can tell they don't know the first thing about Muslims, you know, because they haven't 
met any. Uh, they haven't studied it at all. They haven't traveled to any Muslim countries. Uh, they haven't lived in any Muslim countries. It's, but yet they've got a real hard opinion. Hmm. You know, so if they did those things, it would really shape them. You know, so it's the books you've read, the places you've traveled, the people you've met. I can think of I can think of five men in my life that have shaped who I am today. You know, not counting Jesus, he would be. Well, I guess he's in all five of those. Well, so. I get what you're yeah, saying. Yeah. It's, it's those people you look at, and you're like, mm -hmm. I. Well, with Paul says, you know, imitate me as I imitate yeah. Christ. But I've, where I've had that general react, general like <clears throat> genuine reaction to somebody like, man, I typically because I'm. I'm kind of goofy. I attach comedy to it when I don't need to. But I'll be like, I'll, I'll say even as a grown up, I'll be like, I want to be like that guy when I grow up. Yeah, totally. But yeah, no, I know, I know that kind of response. Well, you're I can look about. at the the different, um, the different aspects of my character, my passions, my, um, you know, the the things that make me who I am, and I can tie each one of them to uh, a person that I've learned from, and it's. I don't know that I've stopped to think about it until you were just talking, like the people that I've met, the things that I've learned from them, right? And, and wow, it's, I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible. Like nobody is uh, developed in a vacuum, you know, everybody right. is who they are um, as a product of the people they've met, the places they've been or grew up or the, the things they've learned through, you know, whether it's books or podcasts or, you know, documentaries, movies, TV shows, things like that. Pretty well, cool. Well, you even, even see it growing up. You know, the the, fret, the ninth graders want to be like the 10th graders. Mm -hmm. Sure. You know, and they and it's really a big deal. I mean, I grew up in a small town. So, you know, if one of the older kids wants you to hang out with them, it's like, whoa, man. <laughs> you know, I'm somebody, you know. And, of course, you'll do whatever they tell you to do. And however they do it, you do it. Uh, hmm. you know, it's kind of natural, uh, which makes parenting important Yeah, because you need to steer that a little bit yeah. as to who's influencing your mm -hmm. kids. Um, but especially the travel, I think that's where Americans fall the shortest. You, you know, if we travel, it's to Mexico or Cancun or, you know, Bahamas or something like that. But to really get into um you know further travel uh or it, you know engaging people here uh, i mean I, when i was at a and i met a guy that's where i went to college um i met a turk who was one of the students and you know i knew a little bit about turkey but not not much uh and we got to talking and and everything and uh he gave me a constitution, a, a, a Turkish constitution, and he said it's very much, and this is way out of date because they've thrown that thing away a long time ago, but um, he said much of what's in our constitution came out of your constitution. Hmm. I said, really? Like what? You know? Well, what he told me were the significant things. See, so just asking that question, I found out, you know, the significant things in their constitution that they got out of ours. That's important to understand. In my doctoral program, the it was just an amazing missions faculty at Western. Um, 
and and they they kept saying, first you must understand. I mean that was that was the start starting statement for everything. First you must understand. If you think you're going to go be a missionary in in uh, you know Kenya, then you don't get off the plane and start a church. First you must understand. Understand what? Everything. Now it doesn't mean you have to know everything before you do anything, but the you're you're a student. Okay, what? How do they do things here? Why do they do that thing? What are the things you better not ever do? You know, like in Muslim countries, you don't walk up and shake up a man's wife's hand. No, you know, just do's and don'ts. That if you do that ignorantly, then you you may even have to pack up and go someplace else because you're ruined. Blown you're your never going to be effective. Do, do you find that's, that's just um, cultural norms or is it deeper than that? Like you, you really kind of have to have a it, window of their worldview before you well, that's begin part of to culture. tiptoe in with. with that's, that's part of culture. Sure. sure. And, and in the curriculum that we had, everything was culture. You know, uh, the courses we took, it was intercultural communications, intercultural leadership, intercultural education, um, intercultural church planning you know uh how how to you know intercultural uh cultural analysis mm-hmm. so you get there okay how do you understand the culture how do you even go about it well there's ways to do that you know but you just don't jump right in doing ministry first you must understand who are these people how do they see americans you know the do's and don'ts you know, they teach you to have a, um, a uh, I forgot the word now. It's been so long. Um, but uh, what was the word now? <laughs> anyway, um, it's been a long time since I thought about that. Um, it's It's basically a person in that culture. So like when I was in Turkey, Turk who you could go to and he wanted you to understand his culture. So you had an, a, a safe person to go to, to say, Hey, look, uh, you know, my wife and I were in the, in the open market buying fruits and vegetables the other day. And Pam used the English word. Uh, she said, could I have a bag of those peaches? And the whole market started horse laughing at her. And the guy with the market, you know, came over. No, 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 no. The name of that is. And so I had a Turkish lieutenant working for me. So the next day I said, Kamal, what happened? And I told him the story. He started laughing. And he said, that word, beaches, is a very ugly word in Turkish. <laughs> don't say beaches in Turkey. Yeah. Don't say beaches in Turkey. <laughs> yeah, Pam asked for a bag sure. of them. <laughs> those, those kinds of things, yeah. you know. So... <laughs> First, you must understand, and and that is that is true of a new job. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's true of a new neighborhood. Uh, it, it, I'm a little late to the take on this, but I, I was just reminded: um, is it in the Arab world you don't you don't show the bottom of your feet, mm-hmm. or in, in, in quite a few cultures, yeah. if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken, yeah. like but even even sitting as we are now, sure. like showing the bottom of your, of your feet towards a person is extremely that's, that's disrespectful. Right. And again, we we wouldn't think of that 
And and yet all of a sudden we've built a wall of disrespect in between the people we're trying to, yeah. to reach, you know, mm -hmm. for the kingdom. And so yeah, you you're you're dead on there. Well, the thing I love about that is that it's it's we're not just talking about cultures as far as like different parts of the world. Like that's applicable to to individual relationships, you know? Like you you need to understand, you need to have like what you said, just a glimpse and an understanding of their, you know view of the world and, yeah. and life. And, and I remember a, a quote, probably Maxwell or something that he said that uh, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. You know, and you can't, mm -hmm. you can't care if you're not interested in what, what their experience in this life is, you know, and that's part of the reason why Narragate works so well is because it is, is so relational in nature and the guys are here, the residential, they're living here. We're doing, we're doing life together. Right. And it's, yeah. it, we had the time to build the relationship and know the histories. And, you know, like if a, you know, a guy comes in his, and his parents are divorced or maybe he lost a parent and like mm -hmm. we we find that information out quickly because nothing shoots influence in the head like being around somebody for months at a time and not and then bringing up you know how's your parents you know what i mean and you're just like well, you don't know me at all you know one of the most significant right. moments in my life you clearly are you know completely you know you don't have a clue and so that's um that's really cool to think about first you must understand like in order to have influence, in order to have leadership in somebody's life, you've got to put yourself in their life. Well, Dr. Bradley, we want to thank you for being here officially, man, just spending time to just chat with us again. Yeah, it's um, my blessing. It, it truly is a blessing to sit with someone who is eager to give away the wisdom mm -hmm. that God's mm -hmm. collected within them. So, so thank you for that. But yeah, man, if there's, if, you know, to think about, <laughs> Uh, uh, I, I feel a little bit jealous in the fact that, you know, you've been a part of the Narragate family for a short time, uh, you know, and I'm just thinking about myself and a bunch of other graduates who may be listening, who, who've never had the chance to meet you before. And so, man, if there, if there was just one word of encouragement, uh, you know, that, that you could give to young men in seasons of transition or, or new in the faith or, or, or graduates who are kind of finding themselves in the world, you know, what, what, what would you leave us with today? Commit yourself to being a lifelong learner. Because there, there's going to be a lot of uh, educational things that you need to learn. Uh, you, you need to be a lifelong learner of the Bible. Uh, you need to be a lifelong learner of people. Uh, you, you just need to be very, very observant and eager to learn more. And the Lord will feed that. And it will lead to, to experiences. You know, I, I wanted to do that, and I ended up in the military and living in places like Izmir, Turkey, you know, mm. um, Naples, Italy. Uh, we lived in Alaska for six years. Loved it. Amazing place, you know. So one of the things that made it easy on our family, we had two boys. The younger one has got 23 years in the State Department as a counterterrorism officer so he loved it so instead of whining about having to say bye to your friends because now we're moving again we talked a lot about what we were going to do when we got there and they couldn't wait to get there you know um so and that's leading you know uh so they they uh they were very much in learning mode, you know, their whole 
their whole life, really. Mm. Um, so you never know what you're going to bump into and what a shame to bump into amazing things, but that switch isn't turned on and you missed all of it. I love what you said about, you know, commit yourself to becoming a lifelong learner. Um, That's the key. You can apply that to any scenario. And that's That's especially applicable to Narragate graduates specifically, because when they come here, they learn a lot and it's handed to them on a, on a platter, you know, handed to us, you know, as Narragate students, you know, you wake up, you come down, you make breakfast, do some quiet time, and then you sit for the rest of the morning in a study or a lesson, and then you go out and work and then have, you know, lunch and then, you know, dinner. And at the end of the day, you're doing another, you know, immersive study. And so it's like learning is just a part of what's provided for you at Narragate. And then when you graduate, you go back out into the real world and all of a sudden that's not how it works anymore. Yeah. People you, don't care about it. That's you. right. Nobody's <laughs> just teaching you just stuff and you just wake up and just sit there and learn. And so it's, it's, I think that's such a great piece of encouragement for graduates specifically. It's like you, there is still more to learn, but now you have to, to decide that you want to continue to learn and go out there and, and do it and learn it. Yeah. Another phrase that I, I use quite a bit is uh, I want to be people's headlights. Because what you just said is great, and, I, and I'm, this is not a critique, but then they go off and now they're on their own, you know, and people aren't as nice as they are here. And, you know, people take advantage of them and stuff because they can't see ahead. Hmm. You know, the what's ahead of them, the kind of people they're going to be working with next year, they can't see it coming until it runs over them. And then they learn from the wounds. Yeah. And as much as possible, we need to be their headlights touring. Say it's just like I do with the leadership guys. I'm pointing them to to scenarios that they're going to experience as leaders. That's mm. headlights. Mm. Wow. That that's what I want to be doing. Mm. Gosh. And that's what y'all are doing. Well, Dr. Bradley, thank you for being here, not just for the time you spent here in this podcast, but just the the time that you give to Narragate, to the students for coming out here and, you know, being a part of what's going on here in the guys' lives. Thank you for uh, the impact you've had on my life the and, man, just the life that you've lived and the heart to pass on what you've learned to other people. I just, I appreciate you. It's a mission of love that God has put in my heart. Yeah. It's all Him. Yeah. Well, thank you again. Thanks for having me out. Thank you. Yeah.